Hello everybody, how you doing? Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm Andrew for America and we are going to start today off talking about Manly P. Hall. Uh, In a previous podcast, I told you guys that we were going to talk about Manly P. Hall in the future, and he's an interesting guy. Um, You know, uh, also in a previous podcast, I told you guys that, um, you know, when I was kind of going over the uh, social contract theorists and the founding of the country, you know... um, the spirit of the times being uh, this, uh, you know, this group of kind of outlaw revolutionaries, rebels who, you know, didn't want to um, believe in just what the what the church was saying, and they had some of their own ideas. Uh, they were aspiring to religious freedom. Uh, they were studying the Enlightenment thinkers. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff uh, out there that people believe in, and people, um, you know, have studied throughout the years that have been passed down through generations, and some of that information uh, is being kept a secret. You know how, like, pretty much for this entire podcast that I've been doing, I've been telling you guys a story about something, and then I've been letting you know that. You know, this isn't a secret. These people aren't keeping it a secret. Um, You know, you can go look this stuff up, yada, 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 right? But there are groups of people, uh, some in the big club, some that probably are not in the big club, but are sympathetic to certain causes. And they have some ancient wisdom that they keep under lock and key. They keep it a secret. They pass it down through the generations via secret societies. Um, you know, that that's where, you know, a lot of the modern day conspiracy theories come th- from, is that nobody really knows. And people have been doing a good job of keeping certain information a secret. And they have also been willing to, you know, it's like the New Knights Templar. Like they're willing to kill. And they're willing to set people out, uh, you know, under the darkness of the night to achieve goals. Keep it quiet, kind of like the jackals, right? So, today we're going to kind of talk about esoteric philosophies, occult philosophies and traditions. Where do they come from? What's the point? Is it real? Is it fantasy? All right, so that's kind of where we're going today, guys. We're going to talk about some stories that uh, have some crossover uh, between, you know, the Christianity that was practiced during this day and some other religious, spiritual, uh, pagan, mystical traditions, if you will, that also existed during the time. So... Manly P. Hall. Uh, Here's a little intro on Manly P. Hall. 
Uh, he was born March 18th, 1901, died August 29th, 1990, was a Canadian-born author, lecturer, astrologer, and mystic. He is best known for his 1928 work, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Over his 70-year career, he gave thousands of lectures, including two at Carnegie Hall, and published over 150 volumes of different varying works. In 1934, he founded the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles, which he dedicated to the, quote, truth seekers of all time, unquote. Uh... In it, there is a religion. Uh, I'm sorry, a research library, a lecture hall, and a publishing house. Many of his lectures can be found online, and his books are still in print. And we're going to talk about a couple of his books today. Uh, Manly P. Hall was born in Ontario, Canada, uh, to his mother Louise Palmer Hall, who was a chiropractor and also a member of the Rosicrucian Fellowship, which is a mystical Christian tradition that has been passed down through the generations. And I'll touch on what that uh, exactly is uh, a little bit later. Um, and then his father was William S. Hall, a dentist. Uh, the younger Hall said to have never known his father, though. So uh, apparently he was raised by his mother. Don't know if dad passed away or if he just wasn't in the picture who knows uh in 1919 hall moved from canada to los angeles where his uh grandma his maternal grandmother with his maternal grandmother rather sorry to reunite with his birth mother so maybe dad took him to live with mom perhaps uh is what i'm gathering from that uh who she was living in santa monica and was almost immediate he was almost immediately drawn to the arcane world of mysticism that obviously he learned uh, from his mother. Uh, he was drawn to the esoteric philosophies and their underlying principles. Hmm, principles. I was talking about principles in a previous podcast, wasn't I? I wonder if the principles he's going to talk about are similar or different from the founding principles uh, professed by the founders of this country and the social contract theorists. We shall see. Um, Manly P. Hall delved deeply into teachings of lost and hidden traditions, the golden verses of the Hindu gods, Greek philosophers, and Christian mystics, and the spiritual treasures waiting to be found within one's own soul. Okay, so that's a little bit about Manly P. Hall. This guy devoted his life. He was intellectually curious from a very young age about hidden secret belief systems and traditions and symbols and gods even maybe um so hall took over uh, eventually as the preacher of the church of the people in 1919 which i'm not sure what denomination that is or what that exactly means but um uh, his services took place at Trinity Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles. Less than a year later, Hall booked his first lecture, and the topic was reincarnation. Hmm, that's interesting. Hall was ordained a minister in the Church of the People in 1923, and a few days later, he was elected uh, permanent pastor of the church. His first publications consisted of two small pamphlets, The Breastplate of the High Priest, he wrote in 1920, and Wands and Serpents, uh, 
uh, that he wrote after that, between 1921 and 1923. He also put out The Initiates of the Flame, uh, The Ways of the Lonely Ones, and The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, uh, which we will talk about. He was not a Freemason uh, until later in his life, um, which is very interesting because he studied all of these secret societies and secret symbols and secret traditions his entire life. So that's interesting that he didn't decide to actually become a Freemason until 1954, more than 30 years after his his book was published. Um, Here's another interesting bit about Manly P. Hall. During the early 1920s, Carolyn Lloyd and her daughter Estelle, members of a family that controlled a valuable oil field, in Ventura County, California, begins uh, sending a sizable portion of their oil income to Manly P. Hall, who used the money to travel and acquire a substantial personal library of ancient literature. Hall's first trip around the world to study the lives, customs, and religions of countries in Asia and in Europe, which commenced in uh, 1923, was paid for by donations from Carolyn Lloyd and her congregation. So apparently they were some like-minded individuals, and this uh, affluent benefactor, Ms. Lloyd, or Mrs. Lloyd, uh, saw in Manly P. Hall something that she was willing to invest in. If I had to guess, it was probably curiosity, intelligence, uh, experience, knowledge, etc. So she funded this guy. Uh, during the 1930s, uh, using money from the Floyds, or I'm sorry, from the Lloyds, Uh, oil money, Hall traveled to France and England where he acquired his most extensive collection uh, of rare books and manuscripts in alchemy and esoteric fields from London. Uh, Through an agent, due to the depressed economic conditions of the era, Hall was able to buy a substantial number of rare books and manuscripts at reasonable prices. When Carolyn Lloyd died in 1946, she bequeathed Hall a house, $15,000 in cash, and roughly $10,000 portion of her estate's annual income from shares in the world's largest oil companies for roughly 38 years. So now, I mean, this guy is like a modern day, or not a modern day, uh, uh, he was kind of like Indiana Jones of sorts, you know, or, uh, you know, National Treasure, Um, or what's the one with... uh, Angels and Demons, you know, the codexes of the Catholic Church. You know, all of the, the, the quiet, secret parts of all of your favorite uh, religions and belief systems throughout history. You know, there's, there's the general congregations and the general uh, knowledge base. And then there's a few, hey, you know what? Here's uh, some more of the story that only a select few get to know and learn. So this goes right back to what I was telling you guys in previous episodes about, you know, there is a club, there is there are secret societies, there are groups of people that are devoted to accomplishing goals that are real, existing in this world and have existed for many, many years, and it is not conspiracy theory, people. These organizations and groups exist. It is facts. These are facts. This isn't theory. These are facts, okay? All right, moving on. Uh, So after uh, Hall wrote The Secret Teachings of All Ages, after it was published, uh, Hall went from being just another earnest young preacher in the city of 
uh, angels to become an icon of the increasingly influential metaphysical movement sweeping the country in the 1920s. So apparently, there you go. There was an in- increasingly influential metaphysical movement rising up in the 20s, and the Roaring Twenties. Very interesting. Uh, his book challenged assumptions about society's spiritual roots and made people look at them in new ways. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you guys in this episode, is that there's the show and then there's the reality. I've already kind of talked to you guys about the show, and now I'm going to start throwing at you a little bit of reality, okay? Hall dedicated the secret teachings of all ages to the proposition that concealed within the emblematic figures, allegories, and rituals of the ancients is a, listen up, secret doctrine concerning the inner mysteries of life, which doctrine has been preserved among a small band of, quote, initiated minds, unquote. As one writer put it, the result was a gorgeous, dreamlike book of mysterious symbols, concise essays, and colorful renderings of mythical beasts rising out of the sea and angelic beings with lion's heads presiding over somber initiation rites and torch-lit temples of ancestral civilizations that had mastered latent powers beyond the reach of modern man, unquote. So I'm going to highly recommend, if this stuff is interesting to you, that you go pick up the book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Okay. All right, moving on. 1942, Hall spoke to an attendance setting audience at Carnegie Hall on The Secret Destiny of America. And that's the book I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit later on today in this podcast, uh, which later became a book of the same title. Uh, so he took this attendance setting audience speech that he gave and turned it into a book. In that book, through a series of stories, he alleged a secret order of philosophers had created the idea of America as a country for religious freedom and self-governance. That, people, is why this guy is so pivotal and so important. And, obviously, a lot of the myths, legends, symbols, belief systems, secret societies, etc., a lot of the guys from the social contract theorists to the early, uh, you know, Washington, uh, Ben Franklin, you know, Thomas Jefferson, all, all the founders, all these guys were, um, you know, reading the same stuff, thinking about the same stuff. You know what I mean? So, all right. So moving on. Uh, he claims, uh, where was I at? So, Secret Destiny of America, which later became a book. Yep. In that book, through a series of stories, he alleged a secret order of philosophers had created the idea of America as a country for religious freedom and self-governance. In one of the stories that Hall cites as evidence of America's exceptionalism, he claims that an angel was present 
at the signing of the Declaration of Independence and inspiring and inspiring them with God's words. Hmm. Very interesting. President Ronald Reagan is reported to have adopted ideas and phrasing from the secret destiny of America in his speeches and essays for his allegorical use of the city upon a hill reference. The great city upon the hill. America is a beacon that the world is going to look to. The city upon a hill that the, our actions will determine the course of history. And they wanted to be doing right by their God and their belief system. You've all heard this before. J uh, JFK has talked about the city on the hill reference. Many presidents, you've heard it before, guaranteed. Um, Hall returned in 1945 for another well-attended lecture at Carnegie Hall titled Plato's Prophecy of Worldwide Democracy. Interesting, don't you think? We talked about Plato's Republic in a previous podcast briefly. And his prophecy of worldwide democracy. Hmm. Very interesting. Worldwide democracy. Worldwide. Get it? <laughs> what am I referencing, people? It all connects. Okay, so Manly P. Hall was a big deal. He is probably one of the most, if not the most, sought-after uh, experts uh, in the field of the occult and uh, the ancient mystics and the ancient symbolism that um, people that founded this nation uh, believed. And, you know, it's funny. It's like this, in my opinion, I, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but in my opinion, you know, it's kind of this... this marriage of Christianity and and pagan occult, I guess for lack of a better word, religion and philosophy. It's almost like, you know, there's some hypocrisy going on in there. It's seemingly, right? You're like, you know, if you're a Christian, it's like, how can you be a Christian and believe in all this esoteric, you know, whatever. But maybe there's stories there that are like the missing link. You know, maybe, you know, obviously there's been books that were purposely left out of the Bible. Catholic Church did it, you know, during the, the Protestant Reformation. A lot of stuff was pulled out. You know, the, uh, I've heard uh, people in the past um, talking about how the Bible and other works, religious texts, uh, texts, etc., have been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and given to kings so kings could take their p favorite parts out and then rewritten and rechanged. And so, like, you know, the actual texts from the time of Jesus, I guess, if you're a Christian, um, you know, have pretty much been changed and retranslated and rewritten so many times over. Like, how can we today in modern-day uh, America and in the modern world, how can we know for sure that what we're reading is exactly what was written thousands of years ago. You know what I'm saying? So it's just very interesting how, you know, it's like the show and the reality, like I was telling you guys before. And this is going to be a common theme with everything I'm talking about as far as the big club and the secrecy and all this stuff. Is You know, there's the show and then there's the reality. The show is the history that the victors wrote, the victors of history wrote, that you're supposed to believe. And then there's the reality. 
the reality of what really happened and how they really succeeded in their ambitious goals and why they keep that a secret from the general population. Got to be some pretty good reasons there. And that's where a lot of the fodder for this conspiracy theory nonsense you guys keep hearing about uh, comes from, is that this stuff is real and they don't want you pick they don't want you picking up the trail they don't want they're trying to throw you off the scent that we've talked about before dave smith talked about before many many people who are very educated and understand what's going on know what's really happening but compared to the general population it is a very 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 small group of people which is why scale and proportion and being able to judge and measure things is so important, like I've talked about before. Hope you guys are learning stuff. This is fun. I like this. This is interesting for me. I hope it's interesting for you. We're going to move on. Uh, so there's a guy named Mitch Horowitz, and he is a, pretty much the guy that picked up Manly P. Hall's work. He, he uh, was interested in this stuff and started learning about it, and uh, he tells a little story uh, in this thing that I found where... Um, how uh, Manly P. Hall, when he discovered him, it pretty much uh, set the trajectory for his entire career. So uh, here's, I'm going to read a little bit about what Mitch Horowitz says about Manly P. Hall and about um, what Manly P. Hall's uh, thesis was in The Secret Destiny of America and in America's um, assignment with Destiny, his two um, books from uh, late 40s, early 50s. So here we go. Mitch Horowitz, uh, and I quote, It was early in my studies of occult and esoteric traditions where I asked myself, who should I be reading? I asked my friends, both longtime seekers like myself, one named Pythia, the same name, uh, or I asked her the same question. I later learned from Hall's work, as the oracle at Delphi said, I don't know, I think he's getting... I don't know if this is a consistent thought. But anyway, uh, Manly P. Hall lingering over every syllable. I felt the kind of electrical charge you sometimes experience when you know you're about to make a life-shifting discovery. Okay, so he's saying that he was asking his like-minded friends who he should be studying, and everyone says Manly P. Hall is your guy. So that's what he meant by that. Um, he says, I had to learn who was behind that imposing name. I felt an inner conviction that such knowledge would prove personally meaningful. My conviction turned out to be right. Manly P. Hall's work helped chart the course of my career. So, interesting. So here he goes on and he's going to talk about Hall a little bit. And I'm going to just kind of read to you now because this stuff's, uh, I found this to be very, very, very enlightening and interesting. So here we go. Uh, Manly P. Hall spent seven decades uh, most of them in Los Angeles writing about the esoteric and inner dimensions of the United States and much else besides. Hall's view of American history could be called transcendental. It was neither liberal nor conservative, populist nor elitist, and the writer rarely concerned himself directly with politics, elections, or current events. I wonder why. Because hmm. he was smart enough to know that None of that shit matters. Other than to remark on the need for environmental stewardship, interesting, and moderation in civic life, which can only lead us to imagine at how we would have despaired over the nature of today's perpetual attack mode. 
whatever that means. But so he, you know, he's kind of talking. He's setting the stage here, setting the stage. So here we go. Now he's going to start talking about the Secret Destiny of America, which is a book uh, that I think you should all read. Uh, this is the book I told you guys I was going to talk about in a previous podcast, and we're going to get to it later. So here we go. Within Hall's writings on American history, particularly particularly in his book, The Secret Destiny of America, appears the principle that the U.S. serves at its finest moments as, listen up, a vessel for primeval ideals of democracy, self-development, individual searching, and personal liberty. Hall locates these principles in their earliest form within ancient esoteric traditions, and he believed that such aims were preserved within the work of illuminated intellectuals like Francis Bacon and Sir Walter Raleigh, as well as covert fraternities, including Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, the latter probably not an actual brotherhood, but a thought movement. So the Freemasons, he's saying, are an actual brotherhood that meets and has meetings. And the Rosicrucians and Rosicrucianism is more of a thought movement, movement, similar to maybe you would say libertarianism. Not really a group of people, more a set of thoughts and philosophies. Okay. Uh, and enacted, albeit with egregious gaps, by America's founders, many of whom were either Masons, such as Washington, Benjamin Franklin, or were um, intimately steeped in ethical and individualist philosophy, such as Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. This perspective ignited the patriotic imagination of a surprising range of figures, including President Ronald Reagan. Boy, I did not know this about Ronald Reagan. Listen to this story. I first discovered in 2010 that some of Hall's ideals and language about the inner meaning of America began appearing in Ronald Reagan's writing and speech-making from the earliest years of his political career up through his presidency. As we'll see, it is likely that the two met in their hometown of Los Angeles while Reagan was governor. In this sense, Hall's influence traveled far beyond esoteric circles. And this is why Manly P. Hall is such a pivotal figure, pivotal historical figure that you American people better know about. The most powerful case in point appears in his impact on one of the 20th century's most, most consequential politicians. So here we go. Listen to this little fun story about President Ronald Reagan. During Reagan's two terms of governor of California from 67 to 75, whispers and speculations circulated about the ex-actor's penchant for lucky numbers, superstitions, and newspaper horoscopes. But it was unknown that the esoteric scholar Manly P. Hall, and particularly his occult backstory of America made a lasting impact on the man who became our 40th president. As is typical of many actors, Reagan was no stranger to occult lore. 
Very telling line. Let me repeat that. As is typical of many actors, Reagan was no stranger to occult lore. What does that mean, people? That's insinuating that many actors in, I don't know, maybe the Hollywood elite are very involved with occult lore. Reagan was friendly with Eden Gray, a one-time co-star who went on to write the nation's first popular guides to tarot card reading. Later on, as Governor Reagan was friends with psychic Jeannie Dixon, and he and Nancy broke with the prophetess after she failed to foresee his rise to the White House, so they were consulting psychics, the Reagans were, and when she made a mistake... They broke with her because she didn't see it coming. Interesting. And was especially close to Santa Monica stargazer Carol Ryder, who in 1969 became the first and only astrologer to appear on the cover of Time magazine. Deep into the second term of Reagan's presidency in the spring of 1988, stories about the Ronald and Nancy Reagan's interests in the occult broke into full view. A tell-all memoir by disgruntled ex-chief of staff Donald Regan definitively linked Nancy to a San Francisco astrologer named Joan Quigley who closely monitored the president's calendars and appointments. Speaking at a press briefing, White House spokesman Marlon Fitzwater attempted to uh, quickly dispel the matter by acknowledging that yes, the Reagans were fans of astrology, but never used it for policy decisions. The spokesman also conceded the president's penchant for lucky numbers and numerology. To many political observers, the revelation cemented press speculations that arose when Reagan, as governor-elect, scheduled his first oath of office at the eyebrow-raising hour of 12.10 a.m., which critics saw as an effort to align the inaugural with promising heavenly signs. But a bigger and more substantive piece of the story went missing. In speeches and essays that he produced decades apart, Reagan revealed the unmistakable mark of Manly P. Hall's writing and phraseology. Judging from a tale of Hall's that Reagan borrowed and often repeated, the president's interests in the esoteric went far beyond the daily horoscope. And this returns us to the book-lined Los Angeles sanctum of Mr. Manly P. Hall. In 1944, within the stucco walls of his mystery school in Griffith Park, Hall produced a historical work and little known beyond his immediate circle, The Secret Destiny of America. Based on Hall's earlier lectures and essays, caught the eye of our future president, then a middling movie actor gravitating towards politics. The book's wording became a mainstay in Reagan's speeches. And this is where it gets fun and interesting even more. The Secret Destiny of America describes how America was the product of a great plan for religious liberty and self-governance launched by an ancient order of arcane philosophers and secret societies. 
In Hall's original 1943 essay, he recounts a rousing speech delivered by an unknown speaker before the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Hall also told an earlier version of the story in 1928 uh, in an opus called The Secret Teachings of All Ages. The mysterious man, Hall wrote, invisibly entered and exited the locked doors of the Philadelphia State House on July 4th, 1776, delivering an oration that bolstered the wavering spirits of the delegates. God has given America to be free, commanded the stranger, urging the men to overcome their fears of the noose, the axe, or the gibbet, and to seal destiny by signing the great document. Newly emboldened, Hall wrote, the delegates rushed forward to add their names. They looked to thank the man only to discover that he had vanished from the locked room. Was this Hall wondered in 1944, one of the agents of the secret order, guarding and directing the destiny of America? At a 1957 commencement address in Illinois at his alma mater, Eureka College, Reagan, then a a corporate spokesman for General Electric, sought to inspire students with his leaf from occult history. This is a land of destiny, Reagan said, and our forefathers found their way here by some divine system of selective service, gathered here to fulfill a mission to advance man Mankind, a further step in his climb from the swamps. Reagan then retold without attribution the tale of a Hall's unknown speaker. When they turned to thank the speaker for his timely words, Reagan concluded he couldn't be found, and to this day no one knows who he was or how he entered or left the guarded room. Reagan revived the story several times, including in 1981, uh, yada, 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 so he said it a bunch of times. Continuing the theme of Manly P. Hall, Reagan spoke of America's divine purpose and of a mysterious plan behind the nation's founding. You can call it mysticism if you want to, he told CPAC. In 1974, but I have always believed that there are some, there was some divine plan that placed this great continent between two oceans to be sought out by those who were possessed of an abiding love of freedom and a special kind of courage. Hall captured an element of uh, the philosopher Jacob Needleman. Uh, when he talks about the American soul in his stories. Reagan certainly thought so. And the codes and stories in the Reagan, uh, in which Reagan spoke uh, from the skeleton, the skeleton key to the inner man, a fact uh, intuited by President Gerald Ford, who called Reagan, quote, one of the few political leaders I have ever met whose public speeches revealed more than his private conversations, unquote. When I finished reading this for the first time, the first thing I wanted to do, and I'm going to go do it, is go look and re-listen and re-watch every Ronald Reagan speech I can possibly find. Because apparently, people, there is a lot of esoteric, occult 
secret symbolism in his speeches. So says Gerald Ford. Quite interesting. In light of what I've written, so this is Manly P. Hall, uh, uh, a clip from him. In light of what I've written, it is also important to understand... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. This is still Mitch Horowitz. Uh, in light of what I've written, it is also important to understand Hall's secret society thesis, in which he describes how esoteric ideals were preserved within the vessel of clandestine fraternities and societies and later put into governance in the New Republic. Aspects of his thesis are over-dramatized, which, like anything, anything uh, controversial is going to be over-dramatized, obviously. Yet, in the broadest strokes, Hall's outlook provides a vital and not wholly inaccurate insight into an element of American history that most mainstream historians and scholars overlook. Or don't overlook but are too afraid to talk about, if I had to guess. Key facets of Hall's secret society vision can be seen in the veritable influence of Freemasonic ideals on America's founders. So there you go. There's another thing you can go start researching. How many of the founders of this country were Freemasons? How many of them were Rosicrucians? How many of them wanted uh, to live in a new world where they had religious freedom, where they could live their life based on their own philosophies? I've talked about it at length. Hope you guys are finding this stuff interesting. If you're an American, you better know this stuff, people. Indeed, Manly P. Hall was among the first modern historians to grasp Freemasonry's impact on early America. And the facts are richer and more significant than anything that entertainment or conspiracy would hold. As a radical thought movement that emerged from the Reformation, Freemasonry was one of the first widespread and well-connected organizations in modern life to espouse religious toleration, ecumenism, internal democracy, and personal liberty. Principles that the fraternity helped spread among key American colonists. People, this is important stuff that you need to know. It may seem anomalous for liberal principles to arise from within a secret society, but skullduggery was never Masonry's primary aim. In an age of religious conflict in 17th century Europe, when an individual caught running afoul of church structures could suffer persecution or worse, Freemasons clung to secrecy less out of esoteric drama than political expedience. Many Masons believed in the search for religious truth as it existed in all civilizations, including those of a pre-Christian past, and they drew upon ancient and occult symbols from pentagrams to luminescent eyeballs as codes for ethical development and progress. Ethical development and progress. Reactions from church authorities ranged from suspicion to hostility. European Masons had good reason to be discreet. Okay, right there, I'm going to stop. Because right there is the part where the conspiracy theory knucklehead idiots out there take this idea way too far. Okay? You have to put this stuff into the historical context of the time that it occurred. 
Think about what these people had to deal with. They were trying to create a new world. They were trying to get away from the king. And they were going to get killed if they had the balls to speak out about maybe there's another way, another path, another method of bettering the lot of life in life for all human beings. A better path, a better way than the old monarchies, the old old feudal lords. There's a better way, a more moral way. You gotta know this stuff, people. It was in the young America that Masonic ideals fully took flight, sometimes in very unexpected ways. In Boston in 1778, local free men of color affiliated together as Masons under the banner of African Lodge No. 1. The African Lodge later became known as Prince Hall Masonry, so named for the order's founder, Prince Hall, a freed slave and leather worker. Hall became the first African American named a Grand Master Mason. Despite the African Lodge's segregated status, Prince Hall Masonry was a bastion of of abolitionism. Its leader affixed his name to some of the Republic's earliest anti-slavery petitions in 1777 and 1778. As such, African Lodge No. 1 represented the first black-led abolitionist movement in American history. People, this stuff is why I get so pissed off about divide and conquer and so pissed off about the racism conversation and narratives being shoved down our throats by the mainstream media. It pisses me off, people. There were no racial differences between the enlightened, illuminated thinkers of this era, the people that were trying to create a new world, the new order of the ages. You got to learn this stuff, people. There is a concerted effort to keep us fighting with each other. Black man and white man believed in the same things and fought and worked and bled and toiled and suffered side by side when this country was founded. And if you if you conveniently try to forget that or pretend like that's not the truth and you're one of these progressive social justice warrior types out there that think you know everything, and you don't know this stuff, you should probably shut the fuck up. Whatever its airs of mystery and images of skulls, pyramids, and all-seeing eyes, Freemasonry's most radical, even dangerous idea was the encouragement of different faiths within a single nation, people. Religious freedom. Early in his first term, Washington communicated these ideals in a letter to the Congregation of the Rhode Island Synagogue. 
It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it was the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives the bigotry no sanction to persecution, no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens, regardless of race, color, creed, sexual orientation, etc. In other words, in the new nation, minority religions were not just guests at the table, but full householders. As Manley P. Hall noted, Washington and other early American Freemasons rejected the European past in which one overarching authority regulated the exchange of ideas. This outlook is further suggested in one of the greatest symbols associated with Freemasonry, the all-seeing eye and pyramid of the Great Seal of the United States, familiar today from the back of the dollar bill. The Great Seal's design began on July 4, 1776, in, a, in an order from the Continental Congress and under the direction of Benjamin Franklin, a Freemason, Thomas Jefferson, a Freemason, and John Adams. The Latin maxim that surrounds the unfinished pyramid, annuit septis novus ordo seclorum, can be roughly translated, if poetically, as God smiles on our new order of the ages. Although the symbol is not directly from Freemasonry, it embodies Masonic philosophy to the core. The pyramid or worldly achievement is incomplete without the blessing of providence. And this polity of man and God, as Masonic philosophy held, required a break with the religious order of the old world and a renewed search for universal truth. In its symbols and ideas, masonry conveyed a sense that something new was being born in America, that the individual's conscience was beyond denominational affiliation or government command. Historically, masonry's voice and principles informed America's founding commitment to the individual pursuit of meaning, as Manley P. Hall also understood. As found in these pages, Hall repeatedly extolled Masonry's influence. Taking a leaf from Hall's thesis, it was not going too far to suggest that many Masons foresaw the nascent republic as a place dis destined to protect the individual search for meaning, from majority rule, from foreign meddling, and from sectarian restrictions. That ideal represents Freemasonry's highest contribution to our national life. This noble, meaningful aspect of Masonic philosophy runs throughout Manly P. Hall's work. Excuse me. Doesn't sound like doom and gloom conspiracy theory, does it? Doesn't sound like that at all. Sounds like maybe the people in the big club at one time, were good, decent, rebellious, courageous people trying to create a new world, a better world for everyone.
they were exercising their reason. They had the best intentions of the whole in mind. I'm telling you people, I'm going to have supporting facts, evidence, stories. I'm going to keep hitting you with them. I'm going to keep supporting my claims. I told you people before in a previous podcast, and I'm proving it to you, in my humble opinion, right now, that the people that founded this country were capable of seeing past race. Yes, slavery still existed. Yes, I get it. I get it. But there were a small group of people working in secret, doing what they had to do, plotting and scheming. And once once a plan formulated was formulated, they had the balls to carry it out. And they were successful people. And the wonderful freedom and constitutional republic that, that followed is one of the greatest achievements of mankind in the history of, of humanity, in my humble opinion. And we're on the precipice of flushing all of that history down the toilet. So I'm praying, people. I'm praying that maybe the big club isn't so evil, doom and gloom. You know, maybe they're just willing to kill a lot of people for some type of greater good. And that's sad. That's that's a it's 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 difficult to have to think about, you know, that whole idea of we well, you know, if you want to be in charge of populations and and you want to be a politician or a dictator or whatever, you know, are you able to you know, let's just say if you had to kill a hundred people in order to save a million, would you do it? Could you do it? You know, big, big, uh, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to even develop themselves to the level where they could honestly have those types of conversations with themselves. Moral, decent, upright people that regardless of the fact that their human nature we're, you know, we're all slaves to human nature. We're all going to sin, right? We're all going to stray from being good and decent. We're all going to listen to the devil on our shoulder from time to time. We're all going to sin and do evil things. And I'm speaking from it in re- these religious ideas because the, you can have the same conversation about the same topics in non-religious terminology and language or in religious terminology terminology and language it's just a different word you just substitute a different word you know sin you could replace with folly or uh, being fallible creatures subject to making mistakes more often than not we are imperfect beings there will never be a perfect system i've been over it i've been over it i've been over it okay uh this is getting good i'm gonna take a break folks and when i come back we're gonna continue talking about fun Mystical, esoteric, secret societies, and Manly P. Hall, when I get back. All right, welcome back. Um, Yeah, this is getting good. Uh, This stuff is super interesting to me. So um, I wanted to read just a little thing. I saw this meme about Manly P. Hall. Um... And it has kind of an assortment of ideas and quotes by him that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, so, he, he uh, Manly P. Hall has this claim that uh, there are secrets behind all religions. Um, 
and some of these ideas that I'm about to read to you real quick. Uh, it says Rosicrucian and Masonic Origins from Lectures on Ancient Philosophy, an Introduction to the Study and Application of Rational Procedure from the Hall Publishing Company, Los Angeles, 1st Edition, 1929. So here are a few quotes. Here we go. Quote, truth is eternal. The so-called revelations of truth that come in different religions are actually but a re-emphasis of an ever-existing doctrine. Thus, Moses did not originate a new religion for Israel. He simply adapted the mysteries of Egypt to the needs of Israel. That's another way of saying that a lot of consistent religious themes throughout multiple differing civilizations throughout history borrowed from each other, borrowed from earlier belief systems, took ideas, repackaged them, re-instituted a whole new religion, way of thinking. Which suggests that religion is actually man-made. But that's a whole nother podcast. Don't get upset with me for saying that. I'm just saying, you know, who knows? Who knows? Do any of us really know? Okay. Thus Moses did not originate a new religion for Israel. He simply adapted the mysteries of Egypt to the needs of Israel. The Ark, triumphantly born by the twelve tribes through the wilderness, was copied after the Isaac Ark, which may still be traced in faint has relief upon the ruins of the Temple of Philae. Even the two brooding cherubim, over the mercy seat are invisible are visible in the Egyptian carving, furnishing indubitable evidence that the secret doctrine of Egypt was the prototype of Israel's mystery religion. In his reformation of Indian philosophy, Indian philosophy, Buddha likewise did not reject the esotericism of the Brahmins, but rather adapted his esotericism to the needs of the masses in India. People. Every religion is just a set of stories, oral traditions, passed down through the generations. It's like a game of telephone. They change a little bit over time because of human folly. We are imperfect beings, but we can still find a way to use language to get our point across. And this is why I find ancient alien theory so fascinating. And this is why I probably don't go to church as much as I should anymore, being born into the Protestant, Lutheran, Christian faith, is because I have learned a lot throughout the years. I've learned a lot by traveling around this world. I've learned a lot from reading and having experiences. And what Manly P. Hall and what these 
secret, occult, for better lack of a better word, esoteric philosophies of the founders of this nation. I find myself agreeing with the more I learn about them. You know, and and you know what if what if <laughs> this is a brief tangent? Okay, I'm going to take you down a little bit of a deep psychedelic road, real quick. But what if ancient alien theory is right, and we were seeded by ancient aliens, extraterrestrials from another world, another solar system, another universe? Maybe who knows? Maybe not universe, but definitely another like galaxy, perhaps. And maybe even the solar system. I don't know. I don't know how much more advanced the other, you know, alleged civilizations that may or may not exist in the universe are. <laughs> Who knows? But if if there's any truth to that ancient alien theory and the ancient aliens TV show that we've all seen, and if Manly P. Hall here is right, you know, maybe there is something to the fact that. Maybe the same gods came down and seeded this planet. Maybe the missing link isn't there because ancient aliens came down, altered our DNA, made us a more advanced species, capable of self-reflection, capable of reason, capable of intellectual, critical, analysis, being able to self-reflect, being able to locate yourself in an undescribable, vast universe that are, is beyond comprehension to the human mind. Speaking of Indian uh, philosophy, uh, here we go, Manly P. Hall. The mystic secrets locked within the Holy Vedas were thus disclosed in order that all men, irrespective of castly distinction, might partake of wisdom and share in the common heritage of good over evil. Unquote. Manly P. Hall. People, there's a lot of wisdom out there that you have access to, that you should start getting interested in, people. Manly P. Hall once said, man's security comes from within himself. That reminds me of Benjamin Franklin when he said that any society that would trade liberty for a temporary sense of security deserves neither liberty nor security. If you're interested in how America came to be and why we were so respected and why we were such a world superpower for a very short period of time, <laughs> sadly. I mean, a lot of us would like to think that we were an empire for years and years and years, but yeah. <laughs> Historically speaking, people, not so much. Not so much. Uh, here, I want to read something earlier. One of uh, Manly P. Hall's books um, is called, 
wands and serpents or something like that. Uh, but this is a little excerpt from the secret teachings of all agent, yeah, of all ages. And this is, I think, where the whole fodder for the reptilian conspiracy theory comes from. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate, but I would assume. Uh, you be the judge. Here we go. Quote, serpent, serpent worship in some form has permeated in nearly all parts of the earth. The serpent mounds of the American Indians... Python, the great snake of the Greeks, the sacred serpents of the Druids, the Midgard snake of Scandinavia, the Nagas of Burma, Siam, and Cambodia, the Brahmin serpent of the Jews, the mystic serpent of Orpheus, the snakes of the Oracle of Delphi, twinning themselves around the triped tripod upon which the Pythian priestess sat, the tripod itself being in the form of twisted serpents, the sacred serpents preserved in the Egyptian temples. The Euroeus called upon the foreheads of the pharaohs and priests. All these bear witness to the universal veneration in which the snake was held. So that's Manly P. Hall telling you that there is serpent devil, quote-unquote, for lack of a better word, symbolism in all, or at least the majority, if not all, the majority of the world's religions, people. I mean, man. Okay, so um, I'm going to read... Uh, one more thing, uh, just to end kind of uh, Mitch Horowitz's um, little blurb I was talking to you guys about earlier. So just to finish up with Mitch Horowitz's story here, uh, he says, uh, he finishes up with, I believe that Manly P. Hall's historical writing makes it possible for readers to today rediscover a neglected, a neglected dimension of our shared history and purpose. Shared. All races, all colors, creeds, sexual orientations, all shared history. He also wrote extensively about undercurrents of esoteric thought and spiritual insight found within the Native American cultures, who I told you in a previous podcast, it's said that they do not get anywhere near the respect and the gratitude that they deserve. It's sad. Manly P. Hall considered these topics with veneration and, and when such cultures were often ignored or caricatured within mainstream letters. I agree. Hall's vision of America is a nation born from and in the ongoing process of fulfilling primeval ideals of individual agency and the search for meaning in illuminating our best principles Hall provides a way to measure our insufficiencies and failures and also an internal obelisk by which to recalibrate the heights we wish to attain. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read a little excerpt from 
I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase my way through The Secret Destiny of America by Manly P. Hall right now. America cannot refuse the challenge of leadership in the post-war world. Mere physical reconstruction of ravaged countries and the reorganization of political, economic, and social systems is the lesser task we will face. The larger problem and the great challenge is in how to set up a new order of world ethics firmly established on a foundation of democratic idealism. It is not an easy task to unite the efforts of the human race toward the accomplishment of any common good. Mankind in the majority is selfish, provincial in attitude, and concerned primarily with personal success and acquiring creature comforts. It will not be possible to build an enduring peace until the average man has been convinced that personal selfishness is detrimental to personal happiness and personal success. I will repeat that. It will not be possible to build an enduring peace until the average man has been convinced that personal selfishness is detrimental to personal happiness and personal success. You gotta be a, a team player. You gotta be a part of the team. A clear and complete statement of a world purpose is required. A world dream great enough to inspire unity of world effort. So you know what? For the, uh, geez, probably the first 10 podcasts, I made the New World Order and the New Order of the Ages sound like this scary, ominous conspiracy theory, right? But what if these people, this secret group, this secret order, what if they really do have the best intentions of the whole in mind? What if they're still exercising their reason in secret, away from the popular opinions created, fabricated, sold to the masses through the media, created by members of the big club who don't want you picking up the trail, connecting the dots, Following the scent. They don't want it, people. Maybe there are good people in the big club. We must someday face the truth that man is inevitably and incurably an idealist. For this is the truth that will set us free. Man's need is for the idealistic content of his nature to be properly nourished. Then his whole consciousness will impel him to right action. And then no more will our laws fail, our treaties be broken, and the rights of man stand violated. People, 
The only way out of this problem is through. The only way out is self-reflection, self-identification, looking in the mirror, identifying flaws, identifying areas of opportunity, perfect, perfecting yourself, developing your capacities, most importantly, your capacity for love so that you can make fruitful use of your freedom while you still have it. All of the great leaders of ancient times realized and taught that the establishment of a state of permanent peace among the nations depended upon the release of human ideals. But through properly trained and disciplined minds, capable of interpreting these ideas in terms of the common good. World democracy was the secret dream of the great classical philosophers. Thus, in many ways, we discover indications that the old races were wiser than we thought, and that what we have called discoveries are really only rediscoveries. We have now in America, enshrined in the Congressional Library, a golden fleece of the ages. The American Declaration of Independence, written on the skin of an animal and preserved in the magic formula of human hope. The curious fortunes of war brought another golden fleece from across the sea, and it was now preserved together with our own. The second parchment is the Magna Carta, the English Bill of Human Rights, which was the inspired inspiration behind our American Declaration of Independence. If in a comparatively short time many racial streams have met and mingled and a new race has been born, the American race is not one to be determined by an analysis of blood or the, prop, or the proportions of the cranium Americans are a race determined by the measure of a conviction, set apart by that conviction. It is the conviction that human beings are created free and are entitled to equal opportunity to perfect themselves in life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. Wise men, the ancients believed, were a separate race. And to be born into this race, it was necessary to develop the mind to a state of enlightened intelligence. The old philosophers taught that physical birth is an accident. A blank slate, 
if you will, a tabula rasa, if you will. For men are born into various races and nationalities according to the laws of generation. But there is a second birth, which is not an accident. It is the consequence of a proper intent. By this second birth, man is born by enlightened intelligence out of a nation and out of a race into an international nation and an international race. It is this larger and coming race of mankind that will someday inherit the earth. But unless a man be born again by enlightenment, he shall not be a part of this philosophic empire. Manly P. Hall excerpts from A Secret, The Secret Destiny of America. Now I want to read to you just a little bit of the foreword of his book, America's Assignment with Destiny. And then I'm going to stop. And I'm not going to get into the bulk of the book because I want to introduce it to you and I kind of want to sell it to you. I want to pique your curiosity. I want to interest you. I want to sell you with some good guy propaganda right here, okay? Those desiring substantial evidence of the unfoldment of the great plan Ooh, excuse me. should follow the suggestion inscribed upon the monument of Christopher Wren in St. Paul's Cathedral and gaze about them. The rapid advancement in the social and political states of man, the increasing richness of human living, and the broadened vision toward individual and collective responsibility herald with auroral colors the rising sun of truth. There is much yet to be accomplished, but already the achievement is impressive. Yes, it is. Even the most devout humanist cannot survey the orderly progress of the race and at the same time deny the existence of a well-integrated program. People, it's getting more well-integrated by the day. I've been talking about it since episode one. The light of the ancient Vedas is slowly but surely illuminating the whole world. The vision of man's noble destiny and the, sh and the sacred Sciences which made possible the realization of that vision have been guarded and served by the, quote, silent ones of the earth, unquote. The priesthoods of the sacerdotal colleges, the hierophants of the mystery schools, and the adept masters of the secret societies have been the guardians of man's noblest purpose, the perfection of his own kind. It is the inalienable right of every honorable person to be grateful for the opportunities which progress bestows. With this appreciation comes also an appropriate measure of resolution. The past proves the future. 
which is but the extension of the good works toward our fulfillment. This process must continue, for growth is not hastened by the interference of authority. Man substantiates with his mind and heart that which he fashions with his hands. The esoteric tradition ensouls the ordinary works, revealing the larger purposes through the smaller ones. Under a democratic concept of living, the responsibilities for progress pass to the keeping of the people. The powers vested in the governing body functioning with the consent of the governed include not only provisions for collective security, but also the advancement of such religious, philosophies, arts, and sciences as contribute to the essential growth of human character. An administrative system which ignores ethics, culture, and morality cannot survive as a dominant political organism. There is every indication that the esoteric tradition will next function through that complex of vast interrelated organisms of production and distribution which now dominates human imagination. While this structure may appear to the superficial-minded as heartless and soulless, and boy does it ever, it is also the largest and most powerful potential instrument for the advancement of mankind ever yet devised. If ambition or selfishness breaks the bond, the privilege, the privilege of guardianship is forfeited. Man cannot destroy or pervert the works of destiny. He can only divide himself from those works, and by so doing cease to share in the essential vitality of progress. Thus it is that unreasonable doubts and fears concerning providence are philosophically unsound. Failure is also regrettable, but principles do not fail, and that which is for ordained, pre-ordained by the gods that came before us. Those principles do not fail, and that which is foreordained perfects itself. Although empires may collapse, great teachers be martyred, Schools and systems perish, the enlightened leaders remain unhonored, the substance of the great work remains unchanged and unchangeable. New vehicles appear, even as the older ones are betrayed by human selfishness. The eternal commonwealth is an assignment of destiny. And spiritual progress, symbolized by the fabled phoenix, rises victoriously from the ashes of the human ruin. The adept tradition has always 
available social instruments waiting to be ensouled with the larger vision. All things created by men are mortal and destructible by the way destined by heaven, but the way destined by heaven, rather, is immortal and indestructible. Universal enlightenment and universal fraternity are the natural ends which reward the social struggle. The world and all that inhabits it are moving triumphantly toward peace and security, allegedly. At any given time, the vision may be obscured, but in the larger dimensions of time, all things work together for the fulfillment of the greater good. Manly Palmer Hall, Los Angeles, California, April 1951. This has been episode 21 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, as always, send an invite to be, uh, or send a request to be invited into the private Facebook, Facebook group, rather, uh, Andrew for America, comedy and commentary. Send me an email, Andrew for America, 1984 at gmail.com. If you like, follow me, uh, Andrew for America on Twitter, Andrew for America on Instagram. And we'll see you next time. Uh, I hope you guys like the subject matter today. Who knows? You know, this stuff, it kind of reminds me, you know, taking the positive view of the new world order and the perfecting of humankind and the making a better, more perfect, I don't know, utopian, perhaps, world for everybody. Uh, It reminds me of, uh, you know, Aldous Huxley when he said, You know, we're going to have our liberties taken away from us, but we're going to rather enjoy it. Because we're going to be lulled to sleep by media manipulation or media manipulation enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. Remember that? Who knows? Maybe we will enjoy it. Maybe we will feel no pain. A painless concentration camp. Maybe that's what's coming, people. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to keep doing this podcast. I'm going to keep pressing on. Hopefully I'll have some interviews to do very soon. Thanks for listening. I love you guys. I really hope you're enjoying this stuff. I really love some feedback. So, you know, if you like the podcast, please share it. Tell your friends. Maybe give me some good reviews. Uh, You know, whatever you got to do. I really appreciate it. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon. Episode 22. Coming soon. Thank you. Good night. And we'll see you next time.